He says, as I neared the chapel, I perceived that someone was in the pulpit preaching. And who should the preacher be but my dear and venerable grandfather? He saw me as I came in the front door and made my way up the aisle. And at once he said, here comes my grandson. He may preach the gospel better than I can, but he cannot preach a better gospel. Can you, Charles? So I'm not going to try to come in this pulpit and do something better than Dave or like Dave. I just want to preach the gospel because there's only one gospel. And that's what I want to preach tonight. So without further ado, I'm going to pray and then we'll get into the text for tonight. So pray with me. Dear most heavenly and gracious Father, hallowed be thy name. God, you are our strength, our portion, and our shield. You are the name that is above every name, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. Everything is subject to you and you alone. Your glory is displayed all around us as we humbly bow before you now in prayer. Lord, we are often so sinful, so lacking in faith and steadfastness, zealous for things of this world. We confess our sins to you because you alone can forgive us of our many shortcomings. But Lord, we know that despite our misplaced zeal for the flesh, you are zealous for your glory and for us. You called us out of darkness and into your marvelous light. We thank you for all of our many blessings that you give us, mostly your son, Jesus Christ, who sacrificed himself even to the point of death on the cross. May we never forget what he has done for us and is doing for us. Lord, I ask you to be with me now as I preach your word, that I'd be faithful to it, that I would decrease and that you would increase all the more. In your name I pray. Amen. So tonight's text we found in 2 Timothy chapter 2. Uh, we'll be starting in verse 1. But before we, we read the text, I'd really just like to give you some context uh, for, for what's going on in the book of 2 Timothy. So te- 2 Timothy is known as one of three pastoral epistles, uh, along with 1 Timothy and Titus. Uh, the Apostle Paul wrote all three of these epistles, which epistles is just another word for a letter. Uh, in this letter, Paul's writing to Timothy, hence the name. Uh, and Timothy met Paul as a teenager. And shortly thereafter, he began to travel with Paul uh, around uh, the Mediterranean area. Uh, Timothy helped Paul plant churches in Philippi, like the book of Philippians, uh, Thessalonica, like the book of Thessalonians, and also in Berea. Uh, Timothy was a pastor. And he pastored a number of churches, but at the time of this letter, he was pastoring the church at Ephesus, like the book of Ephesians. Um, so at the time that, this, that Paul was writing to Timothy, Ephesus was a hostile place to be a Christian. Uh, sin had really taken over the city. Uh, and Ephesus would not really be a safe place for the Christian faith. Uh, Timothy was known to be timid and anxious and got sick regularly. However, Timothy was still a prolific pastor, uh, church planner, and just loved people extremely well. Uh, Paul is writing this letter uh, from his second imprisonment in Rome uh, after his fourth missionary journey, uh, shortly before he was executed. Uh, Paul had been abandoned and left out to dry uh, by many people, and also some other people that he was with, that he traveled with and worked with, were just away on other duties. Um, Paul is making an appeal to Timothy in this letter to persevere, in his faith, uh, in, despite of the persecution that may be coming his way. This letter is essentially Paul's farewell to Timothy and his final exhortation to him because he knows his life is coming to an end. Um, this letter is written in a very personal style. Uh, Timothy and Paul kind of have this father and son relationship in, in a spiritual sense of the word. Uh, the two men have been through a lot together, and they accomplished some incredible things, such as planting churches and seeing multitudes come to faith in Christ. 
Paul quite literally got to watch Timothy grow up in the faith. And in fact, uh, we can see in 2 Timothy chapter 1 that Paul laid hands on Timothy when he was ordained as a, as a pastor and, and sent out to do ministry. Uh, so without uh, further ado, uh, let's, let's get into the text and read 2 Timothy chapter 2, starting in verse 1. It says, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men, who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits, since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. Is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the cross. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. May God add blessing to the reading of his word. So, the purpose of my sermon tonight is to show you what it looks like to have a faith that endures. So often I people ask, uh, ask me, how do they maintain their faithfulness? Uh, why should they even be faithful? Why does God want us to be faithful? And so on and so forth. And in this passage, I believe Paul beautifully lays out how to have a faith that endures. And also, why we have a faith that endures and that it should endure. We will look at different points that will give more endurance to our faith. Uh, my first point is a faith that endures through grace. So verse 1 says, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Uh, so we pick up our text right after Paul has encouraged Timothy in his faith and has reminded him uh, that Paul has been left by his people uh, while he was in Asia. Uh, he then goes on to remind Timothy to be strengthened by grace. Isn't that a little crazy, though? We just found out that Paul was in prison. They'd been persecuted and abandoned and all these things. Yet, he encourages Timothy to be strong in the graces in Christ. Uh, I don't know about y'all, but that would be stressful to me, to be abandoned, left out to dry, in prison, nearing death. That would not be ideal. Uh, my first thought would probably be not to tell someone to be strengthened by grace. But what does that, that phrase mean, to be strengthened by grace? It can mean a lot of different things. Uh, but since Paul is talking about being Ditch, he's reminding Timothy not to fear the same circumstances. He, he's, like I said, he's reminding Timothy not to be afraid of the same circumstances. Um, but rather, to get himself ready for the possibility of the trials coming his way. And by finding strength apart from himself and in God. Um, Timothy is a pastor. And being a pastor certainly brings a lot of trials your way. And as trials increase so must one's understanding of Jesus' immense grace in our lives. As trials increase, we have to abound in the things that we know to be good. Uh, to name a few, our resolution, our love for God, understanding what pleases God, uh, writing scripture on our heart, being committed to prayer, not neglecting to gather with other believers, and so on and so forth. And now, yes, Timothy is a pastor, and trials will come his way. But do not think that just because you are not a pastor, that trials will not come your way. Church, we all have trials coming our way. So we too must be strengthened in the graces in Christ. Grace strengthens us by knowing that the Lord has unmerited favor on those who love them and place their faith in him. 
Now, what does this strength through grace look like? It doesn't always look like this powerhouse. I'm the king of the world strength. In fact, a lot of times this strength can look like weakness. Second uh, Corinthians 12, 8 through 10 says three times. I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly for my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. God knows we are in need of his strength, and he bestows it upon those who call on his name and submit to him and humble themselves before him. James 4.10 says, humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. So you see that it is God who exalts us. We do not exalt ourselves. So power in the Christian context, a lot of the times, looks like weakness and humility. Jesus is all-powerful, yet we do not see him flexing his proverbial muscles and abusing his strength in Scripture. He carried himself in a humble and lowly and meek way. So since our strength is derived from the grace of Jesus, then our strength will begin to look like Jesus' strength. He is the ultimate example of strength. You see, Paul is telling Timothy where to get his help from, not in himself or his congregation or his elders or his friends or his spouse, but from Christ. Observe that the text says, the grace that is, is in Christ Jesus, not the grace that was in Christ Jesus. Christ's atoning work is still atoning today. It is not the type of grace that is only given one time or the first time a mistake is made, but a grace for all time. A type of grace that is new every day. A grace that allows us to do incredible things. A grace that is greater than all our sin. A grace that comes through faith. Do not lose heart, but be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. So the next thing, moving forward, that helps us, our faith to endure, is a faith that endures through discipleship. And Pastor Dave kind of framed this, this point pretty well with what he was saying about our pastoral internship. But looking at verse 2, we can see pretty clearly that the verse is talking about discipleship. And the way that this verse is typically looked at is simply just that we as Christians should tell other people about Jesus and then help them be able to tell others. And that's true. Let's look back at it. Uh, And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust the faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So within this context of the whole letter, Paul is commanding Timothy to disciple in a different way than what you may be thinking just from reading that right off the bat. He is wanting Timothy to create a line of succession in his ministry so that the gospel may be preserved and so that it's taken care of and passed down from generation to generation. Paul is telling Timothy to train people to do ministry and bestow the same things uh, that he has learned to other people. And that's namely the gospel. He he wants Timothy to keep passing down the gospel uh, to other people. And that's exactly why I'm standing in this pulpit today. Uh, Pastor Dave has entrusted me with things he has heard from others so that I may then share those things with y'all here tonight. Uh, Do you see how it kind of creates like a family tree? Um, and, And interestingly, This model of discipleship is not from Paul. Uh, It's actually Jesus' model of discipleship. Um, Because Jesus did this exact same thing in his ministry. He had 12 guys who he handpicked to be his disciples. And he said in Matthew 4, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Do you see that? He says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. So he trained 12 men to be disciple makers. And they took that and ran with it, did they not? Um, When you look at the early church, you see that disciples really just 
were that's what they were there to do from the get go. Watch Jesus and how he did things, so that when Jesus, you know, ascended back into heaven, they had something to go off of. Uh, so before Jesus ascended, he appeared to five people. So after he resurrected, and before he ascended, he appeared to 500 people. And then when he ascended, there was just the disciples around. And then after Jesus ascends, the disciples didn't really do a lot for a time because they were afraid of what might happen to them. And then they're given the Holy Spirit. And once that happens, boom, tremendous things start happening. And the church starts to grow like crazy. And they begin to go on these spirit-empowered mission trips and sharing the gospel wherever they go. And they grow in boldness and confidence. All of that started because Jesus trained them and then sent them out to make disciples out of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all the commands that Jesus gave. That is the Great Commission. That is what Paul is telling Timothy to do here. If the Great Commission does not play out, then we don't have pastors, we don't have evangelists, we don't have teachers, and so on and so on and so on. Friends, do not think that to make disciples, you must have a program or an organization to aid you in doing that. Uh, for example, here at Park, we have Outpost. And our whole aim is to disciple high school students, college students, and middle school students so that they can go and disciple their friends. And it's a fantastic ministry, and God has used it mightily, more than we ever could have hoped for. And he's still using it. But you don't have to be part of Outpost to make disciples, or any other ministry for that matter. Um, we are all called to make disciples as Christians. Uh, it, it's our duty. And um, it, it's not just the people who are outgoing or the people who are great teachers, but literally everyone who's ever claimed the name of Christ should be out making disciples. It's what we're called to do. And I'm glad that we as a church have taken that on, and Pastor Davis spearheaded that and, and wanted to have a culture of discipleship in our church. Um, I can honestly say that in my own life, if no one ever came alongside me and discipled me, then I would not be where I am today. Um, I'm thankful for guys like Casey Espick and Pastor Dave and, and John Whitaker and, and many, many more who have walked alongside me and, and trained me in the work of ministry and showed me how to read scripture and, and things like that and how to pray. And I encourage you to allow someone to do the same for you. You are never too old or too mature to be discipled. Paul, Paul says in 1 Corinthians, be imitators of me as I imitate Christ. Find someone in your own life who you can imitate that is imitating Christ. It's a true gift. So the, the next point I have for tonight is a faith that endures through suffering. A faith that endures through suffering. Verse 3 says, share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Yeah, that's right. The, the Bible says to suffer. Uh, a lot of people in today's culture don't think that Christians suffer. But it is an inevitable truth that we will. And later on in Second uh, Timothy, in chapter 3, verse 12, Paul says, Indeed, all who strive to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Uh, Christian, you will face trials. If you are a follower of Christ, you will suffer for the name of Jesus. But here is the good news. Like the verse says, in Christ Jesus. If you are following Jesus, he has you. Nothing or no one or any circumstances can change that. He who has started a good work in you will bring it to the day of completion on the day of the Lord. You are in him as a Christian. And I love that Paul says to suffer as a good soldier. Because the idea of soldier implies 
fighting and standing your ground and staying loyal to the cause that is at hand. I can't think of a better way to describe Christian suffering. When trials of various kinds come our way, we do not simply lie down and quit. No, we stand up and fight because we have the greatest fighter in the history of the world on our side. And that's Jesus, who killed sin and death when no one else could. Soldier also implies that they are not a one-man army. There are other soldiers around. We have brothers and sisters in arms who are fighting the same battles. Stand and fight next to them. Stand up and be counted, my fellow believers. Many a man or woman has given himself to a noble and worthy cause. But there is none more worthy and noble than to strive to live a godly life in Christ Jesus. Which goes right to my next point, which is a faith that endures through focus. So verse 4 goes on to say, No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits, since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. I think that just goes right in with the same thought as verse 3. And when you go into suffering with Jesus, do not be distracted by the things that are going on around you, but keep your eye on the prize of the upper call that is in Christ Jesus. I also believe that this verse is calling for a different measure of focus in our lives, a focus on the things of God and not the things of this world. There are a lot of things in the present age that demand our attention. Movies, music, school, work, kids, spouses, girlfriends, boyfriends, the news, social media, and we could just go on and on and on and spend hours talking about what distracts us. But Satan uses these things to try to keep us from the things that God has for us. And, you know, all last week I was down in Georgia at a Young Life camp, and I was hanging out with some high school sophomores, guys from, uh, from Chicago. And I found myself talking about the idea of distractions a lot and how so often distractions keep us from fully knowing Christ. I also realized that for many people, this is where they miss the gospel. They aren't willing to drop the distractions that are holding us back from Jesus. They can't let go of the things that they're so attached to. I'm reminded in my own life how I used to be so caught up and how people viewed me and how so badly I wanted to be known as you know, a great basketball player. As I got older and started to reveal things, God started to reveal things to me, and I began to realize that all those distractions have no eternal value. All those things will fail and they will falter, but God will not. He is the Alpha and the Omega, and when I began to place more of a value on my faith in Christ than I did on material things, I began to experience freedom and a full life. I can't help but be reminded of my own life in this verse. You know, the other thing about a soldier is when he or she enlists as a soldier, they have to leave behind a lot of things. A lot of sacrifice goes into being a soldier. The same can be said about enlisting as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. We sacrifice a lot of things uh, we may have enjoyed before we knew Christ or wanted before Christ so we can go and follow him fully. And Jesus tells us the cost of following him is high. And it is. But the reward of that cost is well worth it. Uh, there's a famous missionary and martyr named Jim Elliott, and he went down into the Amazon and tried to reach these people who spoke no English, were violent people, and he ended up being martyred and, and, and killed for his, his work there. And he has a quote that I think sums this up perfectly. And he says, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. So church, I hope that we aim for what pleases the Lord, because it will save you from a lot of heartache. So my next point of the night is a faith that endures through abiding. 
faith that endures through abiding. Uh, verse 5 says, An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. My first observation here is that a crowned athlete implies that this athlete has mastered his domain, or at the very least, is striving very hard to do so. We too, as Christians, are called to strive to master our domain. God says, be holy because I'm holy. We are to strive for holiness in our own lives, just like an athlete strives for excellence in their sport. The second observation I have here, looking at this idea of competing for a crown according to the rules, um, is kind of, what are the rules? Um, Well, the rules are God's commandments. Uh, Oftentimes, when people hear commandments, they think of negative thoughts. Uh, They think of their fun being taken away, uh, or they think of a lack of freedom. But that is not what God put rules before us for. Uh, He put rules before us because he loves us and wants to protect us. Um, I know that that you in this room that are parents can resonate with this. Uh, When you tell your kids, don't stick that knife in that electrical socket, uh, you're not trying to rob them of fun, but because you love them and you want to protect them from hurting themselves, you forbid them from doing something. God works much the same way when he, when he lines out how we should live. Now, you'll notice I'm using the word abiding. Uh, that is because abiding means to accept or act in accordance with. So as Christians, we know what Christ has done for us on the cross and through his resurrection. Should we not then act accordingly? Accepting the gospel's truth calls for a response, and one appropriate response is to abide by the commandments God's laid out for us and to live according to his word. God uses these rules to help our faith endure by trusting in him and his love for us, not to turn us into robots that blindly, find, that blindly follow him. It takes trust and respect to follow the rules. So my next point for the evening uh, is a faith that endures through remembering. Um, so we're moving down to verse 8 here, uh, which says, Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel. So I, I love this about Paul. In, in any epistle you read, but, but right here I really, I really see it. He never got over what Jesus did for him. Never got over it. I think that's pretty apparent in his writing, but I, he was just so on fire for Jesus, and he was fired up about the gospel and was pumped up about it. So here, Paul is charging Timothy to remember Jesus, to think about what he has done, to revel in the glory of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember, though, the big theme of this whole letter is perseverance. And what, what better reminder to push through suffering than Jesus? Paul himself was locked in prison writing this letter, and he was chained because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But we have hope. Hebrews 12.2, it says, uh, Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. For the joy, Jesus went to the cross. Because he had you in mind. He had me in mind. He had everyone who has ever believed and ever will believe on his mind. Praise Jesus Christ the Lord, because he is a God who delights in his people. We should constantly be considering Jesus' resurrection. The whole Christian faith depends on it. If Jesus stayed in the tomb, then what's the point? He would just be yet another religious figure who who died for some cause. But Jesus is not dead. He's alive. He's active. He's on the throne. He's alive and he's well. Wake up every morning and preach the truth of the gospel into your own heart. You can never hear the good news enough. 
But luckily for us, God's given us a great gift that helps us to remember the resurrection. And that's the word of God. So let's look at verse 8 and 9 uh, and, and see what that has to say. So again, it says, Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, has preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering, bound with chains as a criminal, but the word of God is not bound. Do you see that? The word of God cannot be bound. The word of God gives us faith. It exposes us. It cuts to the core of the sinful man. You cannot contain the word of God. Paul is one of the most prolific missionaries and church planners of all time who wrote a third of the New Testament. And he says that he can be bound, but the word of God cannot be. Church, you can chain the messenger, but you cannot chain the message. And the evidence of that truth is everywhere. One example is that China is growing into becoming one of the most Christian nations in the world. A country that only has one legalized denomination, and it's ran by the state. Mao Zedong, you know, who's the famous leader of China, who's a communist, he tried um, to destroy religion in China. And thousands of missionaries were sent out of the country because he, he didn't want people to be influenced by foreigners. Uh, some Christians were put into attainment. Uh, many religious buildings were torn down or, or burned down. And the, the communist regime even confiscated Bibles and hymn books from churches. Yet, I am telling you that China is becoming the most Christian nation. Despite the oppression and the law, the church is growing. Friends, God loves to show off his glory. And what better way to do that than to strengthen his people and the church through near impossible circumstances. The church has always thrived when times are hard. And that's because we have a great hope in the midst of tragedy. <clears throat> so we, we can't be threatened with death. Because um, the Philippians says to live as Christ and to die as gain. Our treasure is not here on earth, but in heaven on high. And that changes the way we react to suffering. And let me tell you, the way that we handle suffering can greatly influence the people around us who are watching. We, may, we have many great examples of suffering right here in this church. And when we look at them and how they're walking through their trials, it can strengthen us in our faith. And when we look at them, we see that they know a God who has enduring love. So my last point of the night, and we'll wrap up here, is the faith that endures through enduring love. So let's look at verse 10, and this is where we'll finish. It says, Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Paul went through a lot. Um, so much so that a lot of people in his position would not put their faith in Christ. He was shipwrecked. Uh, a snake bit him. He was jailed on a few different occasions. Uh, he was abandoned. And just overall had a really rough go of it throughout the course of his ministry. And Paul by no means lived a prosperity gospel life. His life was hard. Yet he endured it, not for his own glory, but for God's, so that many would be saved. Can I just tell you that Paul is not the ultimate example of that? But Jesus Christ is. His enduring love provided salvation, and salvation is only through his enduring love. Christ's love endured so much that even the face of sin and death, he did not back down. He shed his own blood for your soul so that you can spend eternity in glory with him. Imagine that. 
being in glory with Christ. Not because you are good, but because he is. One day, we will have to answer to him. And on that day, will you have had a faith that endured? My prayer is that you will heed what Paul has to say. Grace ought to strengthen you. Discipleship ought to provide avenues for you to grow in faith and to establish the next generation of believers who endure. Suffering ought to help your faith to endure because nothing can take your salvation away, not even death. Focusing on pleasing Christ ought to remind us of why we place our faith in him in the first place. Abiding ought to make us act accordingly with the faith that is in us. Remembering Christ and his resurrection ought to give our faith endurance and that he was tempted just as we were, yet knew no sin. He is the reason for our faith because death cannot contain him. And enduring love ought to cause our faith to endure because God's love will not change or give up or quit or let us down. It endures through it all, even to the point of death, whereas we of those in faith will see him in heaven. And he will say, well done, my good and faithful servant. We are saved by grace, through faith alone. I plead with you to place your faith in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let us pray. Dearly Father, um, we just thank you for everything that you've done for us, Lord. We thank you that you've placed faith in us, Lord. Uh, you've given us the ability to come to you, Lord. That you've given us the ability to gather together and open up your word. Lord, I pray that you'd be strengthening our faith. Our faith, Lord, that we would endure through many trials and suffering. Uh, that we would remember you and what you've done. Uh, Lord, I just thank you for the opportunity to, to preach to my church, Lord. And I thank you for the word of God and how it teaches us and exposes us before you, Lord. Uh, I pray that we put our faith in you and only you. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to sing one last song, uh, 384 in your hymnal, The Bond of Love. Let's all stand and sing.